Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And don't miss our one-minute Exit Coach Tip of the Day on ExitCoachRadio.com. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Welcome, everyone. Thanks so much for listening today. Uh, Very excited about our upcoming guest. Uh, He is Jen Rutherford from Self-Reliant Leadership, LLC, in Littleton, Colorado. And Self-Reliant Leadership is for the challenges of today's blended, matrixed, and virtual teams. We're going to talk about that, and we're also going to talk about how you can uh, become a better leader uh, and find out how you can really get together with your teams and, and work well with them. So, Jan, welcome to the show, and thanks very much for joining us today. Hi, Bill. Thank you. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Hey, tell us a little bit about you and your background and, and how you started uh, Self-Reliant Leadership, LLC. Yeah, well, great question. I, uh, I've i been teaching at the university as an adjunct professor for about 10 years, and what I realized is I always felt like I was dropping my students off a cliff after 16 weeks. They would really start just getting this this whole idea of uh, leadership. And I started reflecting on my experience um, going through special forces, being a guy that really shouldn't have made it. I weighed 114 pounds when I went through and became a Green Beret. Wow. And I started thinking about what I learned and about adversity and about introspection and about mentors, and I and I started telling my students, you know, there's three things that you can do all the time. You don't have to go to a lecture, read a book, take a course, because the whole objective of this course is actually that you become a student of leadership. So, great point. Uh, what an interesting uh, experience, and you had to come overcome uh, some adversity yourself. I mean, uh, 114 pounds in a green beret. That how did you carry the pack? well they were actually worried about me i I, when i tried to get into special forces when i was still a senior in high school i weighed 101 and they said you know you have to gain two pounds and get a doctor's waiver because if you don't weigh at least 103 pounds when you jump out of the plane you're going to hit the side and so i got up to 109 and, and joined and then the day i went on active duty i weighed 114 and um, I had a lot of people, including drill sergeants and parents and teachers, that all said I was going to fail. And it really was mind over matter. I, I realized that there were some big, tough guys that looked like, uh, you know, Rambo, Sylvester Stallone, that were dropping out. And I was thinking, why am I still here? I'm, I'm, I'm making it. And I realized, you know, I, I wanted it more than they did. I was willing to suffer. And that's what I figured out, and, and thankfully I figured that out at, at when I was still a teenager, and and um, it really did end up shaping my life, and and probably had a lot to do with the fact that I'm um, I have been a risk taker um, in business, and and take, cal- take took calculated risks and and learned from those. It it taught you a valuable lesson, and it made you a, an incredible role model for for what you were what you're teaching. Uh, as well. So it, that's incredible. And so as you teach, when you say you feel like you dropped them off the cliff, you just feel <laughs> like uh, uh, they just, they had 
now received some impressive knowledge uh, that they could use, but there were no working principles for them to put in play? Uh, what, what did you mean by that? That's a great question. And what I meant is most of my students are MBA students or doctor of nursing practice. They're, they're probably 30, 35 years old. So they would go through this class. They'd be excited about culture and strategy and lots of different things. And then they were in basically in middle management. And a lot of them came back and said, geez, I want to keep going. I'd, I'd like to have a coach. I'd like to have this continue. And that's when I, I said, you know, the whole idea of the self-reliant leadership is knowing which questions to ask and having the courage to answer those questions and act on them. And you have three things that happen all the time, every day. You have a crisis. <laughs> if you're in business, there's always something going on. There's a challenge. Mm-hmm. And you can learn from it, especially when you fail. There's always people around you, good and bad, and, and role models and otherwise, and you can learn from them and network and reach out. And then the third thing, which isn't talked a lot about a lot in leadership, and, and I call it here the unheard, and by that I mean seek solitude and for introspection. Take a step back. And if you were to ask me the, the main thing I'm, I'm saying to my CEO clients today, it literally is this. Stop. Just just stop. <laughs> you're, you're fighting fires. What got you here won't get you there. You need to just stop and work on the things that only you can work on that are going to propel the business forward over the next three, five, ten years. But if you continue to fight fires, you're not going to instigate the change that you really desire. That's a great point. And uh, I think what we're seeing out there a lot today is, um, uh, as you talk about self-reliant leadership, a lot of business owners are coming together into groups, for instance, Vistage International, TAB, yep. uh, can be a lot of different. There's there's kind of a, a, a commingling of information where people are saying, I I understand it's up to me, but I want to learn what I'm supposed to. You know, I've stopped and I'm awaiting further instruction. <laughs> so what do right. I do well, now? Well, and it's a great point. There's a lot of great groups, and and we're running some really unique um, peer advisory groups right here in in Colorado and Arizona, and I'm a huge supporter of those. And one thing I always clarify when I talk about self-reliant leadership is. It does not mean going it alone. It it means that you are responsible for your own development, that the key to your success is actually developing others to be resourceful, to be collaborative, and to be focused. And as a leader, we cannot be those things. We cannot develop our people to do those things if we are up to our elbows in the day-to-day grind, um, that we really need to step back and you know, I, I lead something called the Crucible, which is a, a, an expedition we do out in Moab twice a year with executives, and we also take Green Berets that are coming off, off active duty to help them transition. But the main thing that I, I call it is it's a digital detox. It's amazing after four days how people really develop clarity for what they really need to be focused on and what they need to do with their teams. Well, Okay, so let's go back to the Green Beret experience. I mean, you don't want to be plotting out your plan when you're in the middle of machine gun fire. That, right? <laughs> I mean, that you should right. have already, that plan was plotted out in solitude and quietness and maybe with, with an advisor, you know, a team getting together to plot and plan. 
the plan is carried out when the machine gun fire is happening. And a lot of people must feel like that today because I know I do. It's it's the emails just won't stop uh, during the day mm-hmm. and the and the request for decisions and information just won't stop. So for many business owners, they feel like work is is like they're they're engaged in in this um, battle, this machine gun fire. So getting away from digital now, how do they change their habits when they come back as a result of that? Well, what they really do figure out, I mean, from a focus perspective, that they realize that one of the only ways that they're going to get out of that is to develop leaders around them so that those leaders can take care of the operation, the execution, the machine gun fire, if you will, and that they're working on really figuring out what needs to propel the organization forward. I, I was on the phone today with a, a young president who's taking over um, a $30 million business, and the first thing he said to me was, I'm just overwhelmed. I just need a bunch of four-hour blocks of time. And we had this discussion about, is it about finding that time? Is it about making it? What has to happen in order for you to have that time freed up so that you can get the business where it really needs to be? Because a lot of the things that he's dealing with today aren't they're going to keep the business running. They aren't going to get the, the business to the next level, evaluating an acquisition opportunity, figuring out what products need to be updated and innovated, how to really cr- turn a manufacturing organization into a service organization. Those things aren't going to happen when you're, you know, as I said, fight, fighting fires and up to your elbows. So you really do have to have the discipline to, to, you know, create that solitude and take a step back from it. Absolutely. And now is it sometimes good to, uh, as with the, cru- the crucible that you're leading, is it good to mm-hmm. have, do you, do you count that as solitude time? I mean, you're with yeah, other well, people absolutely. and you're, you're working on the business, but is it, is it solitude? Well, I, I mean, it might not be the pure definition of solitude. For me, you know, I like to get out on the Colorado Trail all by myself for a week and, you know, maybe see nine people in, in a whole week. That's solitude, and sometimes that's too much solitude. But when we take when we take people out on this expedition, you know, keep in mind, a lot of them have never even, you know, slept on the ground, you know, one day in their life. And there's a lot of time when you're just digging deep within yourself, uh, you know, when you're repelling and overcoming obstacles and canyoneering and climbing rocks with a 50-pound pack on, um, there isn't a lot of chatter. So, you know, through those experiences, we're checking back in with them two, three times a day and saying, you know, how did you feel at this part? What happened? What was going on with the group dynamic? How does that relate to what you do on a day-to-day basis? And one of the main questions we ask is, how do you show up to your team when you're faced with adversity? You know, what's the team see in you? Do they see hope and optimism or do they see something else? And, um, you know, that, that's, that's always a, <laughs> a, a good question for folks when, when, uh, when you're cold, wet, tired, and hungry, character really is revealed very quickly. Whereas in the business world, sometimes it takes, you know, it might take six months or two years before you see, you know, what some folks on your team are really made of. Great point. Great point. And um, I'm thinking about applying that to, to people that I, talk to and work with as well, and I hope our listeners are thinking about that as well. Uh, Very interesting stuff. Now, let me ask you a question. If there was 
one mistake that you witness leaders making more frequently than others, what would it be? <laughs> That's a great question, Bill. It it really would be forgetting that people support what they help create. It, it, I I I did spend nine years in the military, and and you know the the stereotypical thought about someone in the military is high command and control. And I can tell you that that's just not true. You know, decision-making occurs along a, a line of, um, you know, how much time you have in, in the urgency. So, you know, if the bullets are flying, you know, there's not going to be a lot of collaboration. But most of the time in special forces, again, military advisors, part-time diplomats, people that are winning the hearts and minds, it really is very collaborative. And a lot of times with CEOs, the reason they became CEOs is they have this great vision. They have this expertise. What they what they forget is what got them there isn't going to get them to the next level. That, you know, I, I've got folks that come to me and say, Jan, help me communicate better to my team. They just don't get it. I just, I've got the strategy. It's perfect. I just don't think the team is committed. Maybe I need to replace everybody. When, in fact, um, people support what they help create. If you reach out to those folks, they're going to buy in. There, there's a there's an equation that I often write up on a flip chart, and it's E equals Q times A. And E stands for the effectiveness, and Q is quality, and the A is acceptance. And I say you can have a perfect plan. The quality is a, a 10 out of 10, but the accept, if the acceptance is 2, you've got an effectiveness of 20, whereas you let the plan come down in your mind, let people put their fingerprints all over it. Maybe now the, the plan is an 8 out of 10, but your acceptance is 8. Now you've got an effectiveness of 64. Now that's not a scientific equation by any means, but we know whether people are millennials or boomers that they don't want to be micromanaged. They want to understand the why, the what, um, and they want to figure out the how. They want to put their fingerprints on it. And again, when we do that, then we can focus on the things that are really going to make a difference and, and uh, propel the business forward. Very good. So the number one mistake you said is people support what you helped create. Did I get that right? What People support what they help create. What they and help create. Okay. What, oh, oh, what so, they so help. The, okay, that's so, important. Yep, yep, what they help create. So the, the, the number one problem is that, that we don't collaborate enough to get the buy-in. And, to, you know, another, and sometimes that feels like you're going to slow down. But um, I say to CEOs all the time, how many of you are exhausted, emotionally, mentally drained, because you feel like all you're doing all day long is selling people on your vision, selling them, persuading them, trying to drive compliance when what you really need is commitment? And And that could best be have been um, fostered by involving them right from the beginning in in developing that that vision. Is that absolutely. is that what you're saying? Yeah, that, yeah, that, that, it makes a lot absolutely. of sense. I mean, we talk to a lot of uh, uh, business owners about creating, for instance, plans that to retain key employees. But it's very important that we talk to the key employees first to get their buy-in and their input. Otherwise, absolutely, it's just another, it's just another you know. Another thing coming down from up high, and that's so important. Now, we're t we talked about uh, um, leadership, and, and one of the areas that I wanted to ask you about was uh, we talked in the sh 
in the show notes, you mentioned today's blended, matrixed, and virtual teams. It's a lot mm-hmm. different than it used to be when you're a leader and you've got a team. Um, what are some of the nuances of working with and the challenges of blended, matrixed, and virtual teams? Uh, it's a great question, and I, I think the answer is pretty simple. And it, it it's the same answer with any team. It's just harder, and that is trust. You, you you cannot you cannot have a functional team if the baseline isn't one of trust. And when you look at that with a blended matrix virtual team, which we all are these days, and multi generational with all kinds of issues and nuances, that you you really have to invest the time. And again, it goes back to my comment: people support what they help create. And part of that, what, what comes before the trust, is really making sure that you have shared values. And not values in a philosophical sense, but, but what is it that you value in the behaviors you want from your team? And I would dare say that those things are actually character traits. Those are virtues. And we don't talk about that very often, what we really want in folks. And, and again, I'm not saying, boy, you replace it and you find all the right people. But I think a leader's responsibility is to develop those character traits, to, to help people become virtuous, to help them understand the why the organization exists, and to be a little bit vulnerable and a little bit humble, and, and that's how you you earn trust. But there is no substitute for face-to-face and answering, you know, the three universal questions that we all have of each other, and that is, do you care about me? Can I trust you? And are you committed to my success? As a leader, we have to answer those questions every single day, not through our words, but through our deeds. Mm-hmm. Those are great questions and the, the basis of all trust. So <laughs> fantastic information. Now, tell me a little bit about your book. You have a book out called, is it, is it uh, well, t- what, you tell me what's it called. I don't want to mess it up. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> it's called The Littlest Green Beret on self-reliant leadership. And the the backstory on it is uh, I was writing a book on leadership based on my academic experience and had some editors say, you know, Jan, your stories are a lot more interesting. I think you can teach your leadership lessons by talking about your experiences both in the military and in the business world. And, um, and for one year, uh, my son was at West Point for a year and he, and he went through jump school and I put my jump wing from 30 years earlier on his chest and, and he and I are both cyclists and we went on a long bike ride and he goes, dad, I've, I've been in the army a year. So I kind of know the army and what were you thinking that you thought you could make it through special forces? And I, it, when I first heard him say that, I kind of thought, geez, you know, what are you doing? But he was actually saying, Boy, I'm impressed, Dad. You you need right. to tell your story, right. and and I thought maybe there is something to this, and that's when I decided I was going to dedicate the book to the West Point class of 2012. In fitting St. Patrick's Day was a few days ago. Underneath that, it says Canary and Borlat, which in Gaelic roughly translates to "Made the road rise up to meet you." But the book is um, it, it is the, the best compliment I get when people read the book is. Jan, I appreciate your story. It's a good story. But what it really did was it made me reflect on my own story and the trajectory 
and if I'm constantly testing myself and and changing the trajectory of my life. Wow. So, uh, and a lot of a lot of our listeners are thinking towards that. You know, what's my legacy? What would people say about Mm -hmm. me, and and what mark am I leaving? Uh, And to do that, of course, um, you have to be a good um, a good people person, a good leader. Um, and, and smart and sharpen the saw and, and listen to the advice of, of good advisors. And it sounds like this is a fantastic uh, uh, book to, to read and, and learn about, you know, think about your own legacy and, and how you can leave things behind. Now, do you speak to groups and things like that? Is that what you do? or? Yeah, I, I, I do, Bill. I, I, do, I, I lead, you know, the crucible that I mentioned and expedition mm-hmm. for you know, specific executives. I do keynote. I do some executive coaching, and um, r- really, what what I like to do is work with teams and and help develop leaders and institute a program that they can really get their organization to the next level. And um, I mean, that's you know <laughs> what what I'm really passionate about. And it's been the as I reflect back on my own life, it really is the common thread. Um, of everything I, I've done, I was really fortunate when I when I received my beret. Most of the guys that were in charge of me were Vietnam vets, and they weren't very famous in, in the civilian world because it was during the Vietnam era, and you know there was a lot of controversy. But some of these folks were the most selfless leaders you can imagine. I mean, I was a 19-year-old kid when I had my beret and I was an instructor, yet I was serving out at this camp with two Medal of Honor recipients and a a gentleman who had been a prisoner of war held by the Viet Cong five years, wrote a book, ran for Congress. And at the time, I thought, well, that's normal. Well, everybody, you know, lots of people have the Medal of Honor and, you know, have written books and run for Congress. And these were, I mean, to this day, some of the most selfless people I've ever met. Their whole life was about figuring out how do I take the people I'm in charge with and make them at the time, you know, it's all men. How do I make them not only better soldiers, better warriors, but better men, better husbands, better, better fathers. How do I help them figure out how to take care of the people that they're going to lead into combat? And that was just amazing. And it's been the standard or, you know, by which I've really measured, you know, a lot of the leaders I've come in contact with over the years. Jan, it's a it's fascinating to talk with you, and I, I uh, commend you on your uh, your stick to itiveness, <laughs> your your ability to you know take on a challenge and meet that challenge and stick with it. I think it's inspiring for all of us, and I really appreciate you coming on and talking to us about self reliant leadership. And I hope that we can uh, get deeper into some of these topics um, at another time because it's it is fascinating, and you and you present it very clearly and succinctly. So thank you for joining us today. Bill, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. Before we go, uh, tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you best. Yep. Well, the the easiest way is to, through my website. The website is selfrelientleadership.com, and uh, I'm I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn and Google Plus, and I'm I'm a pretty responsive fellow. So if if you reach out to me, um, I'll, I'll I'll write you back. I would imagine you would just just from talking with you. <laughs> Hey, it's a fascinating story. Thanks very much again for joining us. Talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Bill. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back after this message, so please stay with us.
Does thinking about what will happen to your business if you're gone keep you awake at night? Will you get the price you need from your business to carry you through retirement? The BEI Network of Exit Planning Professionals is the world's leading advisor network with the power to help business owners transition out of business on their own timeline and terms. Ask your most trusted advisor to create a BEI plan for you or visit us at ExitPlanning.com. That's ExitPlanning.com. You're listening to ExitCoachRadio.com, the information station for age 50-plus business owners, where we're interviewing top advisors for their best tips, ideas, and precautions so you can be well-planned. We upload new one-minute tips every day. ExitCoachRadio.com. Come listen for a minute. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 